0: summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Would you join me in taking your Bibles and turning to Exodus chapter 16? We're going to be in the first three verses, Exodus chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3. We continue our journey together through the life of Moses. And we get to a very important passage this morning, and I think if we are serious this morning when we read this passage that there's not one of us in here who can't relate to what it is that Israel is going through and that can't relate to what it feels like to be in this situation. And so today we're going to talk about what our responses look like, not just uh, on an occasional basis, but day to day, week to week, month to month. How do we generally respond to the things that come up in our lives? You know, for you and I both, there's certain phrases that you hear that after a while you know immediately that they should raise some doubt in your mind. Now listen, I hate to complain, but I've learned over the years that most people that use that phrase, I hate to complain, the truth is they don't mind complaining at all. The truth is they don't hate to complain. The truth is probably they love to complain. And if we take a look back at our culture, we kind of take a step back and even look at society as a whole, it's almost that we could say that complaining has become a national pastime. Most of the time, the complaining is at the root of a lot of individual problems, a lot of family problems, certainly a lot of church problems, and a lot of problems even in a community effort or a national effort. And so today, I want us to look at the heart of the problem, to really understand when a group of people or an individual has a problem with complaining, where that comes from, and how do we remedy that? You know, as we've been studying through the life of Moses, you you already know that Israel seems to be beset with this sin. And that's exactly what it is. You'll remember that the Lord has delivered them by his divine hand, the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. And they found themselves not only delivered, but they found themselves now on a journey towards the promised land. And all throughout, we have seen them raise these complaints over and over and over again. So we know exactly what it is to complain, certainly about food, but it goes even deeper than that. Because the question for Israel and the question for a lot of us is, when we talk about our lives, are we automatically looking for the negative? Are we automatically looking for the pessimistic? Are we automatically looking for something to complain about? Is that our immediate switch that we flip no matter what takes place in our life? Because the issue becomes if that is the tendency of our heart then it is a heart issue. It's a heart issue and it will beset the hearts and lives of people and it can become that a complaining, whining, critical, grumbling spirit can so habitually overtake someone that praise and thanksgiving can't ever enter their heart because they have walled themselves off to it by the disposition that they've accepted. That's where Israel has found themselves time and time again. So today, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about the biblical concept of what it looks like to turn that around on its head and what the indictment over Israel's heart is, what the indictment of our heart is. And so our big idea this morning, Our big idea is very simple and it's very straightforward this morning. So, you're going to see on the screen this morning, and this is going to drive our time together. Here's your big idea Stop complaining about everything when you have nothing to whine about. Now, that's an earful. Stop complaining about everything when you have nothing to whine about. Let's discover biblically where this big idea comes from as we stand and read together. Exodus chapter 16, we begin in verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. And in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Lord God, would you help us to read in this passage and understand that it's not just Israel that often has a problem. But Lord, individually and collectively, we come before you and recognize that far too often thanksgiving and praise are not the first things that comes to our mind or to our hearts. So Lord, today, I pray that you help us to take a deep look into our own lives. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we would come before you and recognize that the complaining and the whining and the grumbling, that it is sin and it's sin that you demand that be repented of so that, Lord, we may have the freedom of knowing what it is to live a life of praise and thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Three things this morning as we walk through this together that that really jump out of this passage and out of the context of everything that we've been studying throughout not only Moses' life, but the life of Israel. He's led them to this point, and you know that they have seen miracle after miracle after miracle and been provided for in absolutely incredible ways, right? Ways that are amazing. Even just the miracle we talked about last week, turning this bitter water that would have made them incredibly sick and being able to immediately purify and distill that so that the people would be able to have drinking water, and they had no reason to doubt up to this point that the God who had brought them here was going to keep carrying them on but they come and they come with this complaint and it is a fascinating complaint because what we know as we continue to read sit chapter, the rest of 16 and chapter 17 is that God is going to provide. In fact, many of you that know this story knows that he provides supernaturally and provides supernaturally not once, but 40 years every day. He provides them with something called manna, which the best Hebrew translation of that is what is it? Because they had never experienced it before. And he provided them with this bread and honey-like substance that fell every morning and was told that they were to collect it six days a week, but not to come and collect it on the Sabbath, but they were to rest on the Sabbath. They were not to collect more than one day's worth to feed their family, and for 40 years over and over again, even when they started complaining about this, this heavenly food that fell, God provided, you'll remember he provided quail for them, and provided meat for them to eat. So it isn't at this point or at any other point in Israel's history that they had any reason to believe that they were going to starve to death. But yet their immediate complaint was what? You should have left us in Egypt. We would have been better off there because the food was better and we liked the buffet in Egypt. We liked the spices, and we liked the meat, and we liked the stew pot. We liked it the way it was. We were better off before we were here. And if this is the way things are going to be, I wish I'd never followed you, Moses. I wish I'd never crossed that Red Sea. I wish I'd never come out of slavery. I wish I'd never stopped doing what I was doing before. I should have just stayed there. Number one today. If we're going to stop complaining about everything when we have nothing to whine about, the first thing we've got to stop doing, we've got to stop looking back. Stop looking back. Now As Israel journeyed forward, you know some of the story, even if you're a guest with us today, you may have heard some of the story of Israel, and they'd already been promised something. What did Israel already know at this point in the narrative that they had to look forward to? What had they already been promised, that they were moving towards what church, the what? The promised land. That they were moving towards a land that was flowing with milk and honey. That they were going to be given a land that was all their own. So even if you don't know every detail, you know this. They've been promised that what is in front of them is better than what is behind them. How many of you today have lost sight of the fact that you've already been promised that what is in front of you is better than what is behind you? But how many of us, like Israel, are stuck in the past? Now, there's all types of illustrations of this, but we know that there's certain people that seem to always talk about the glory days, right? I've noticed I've had to to check in my spirit about this because raising kids in the world that we're raising them in, I find that all the time I'm saying stuff like, Well, when I was younger... When I was a kid people wouldn't have put up with that. Children wouldn't have acted like that. We would have gotten a better attitude on the ball field. Always looking back. Always thinking about the way things were. But if you're careful, you'll learn a lot from this passage. Because if you know the story, which you do, Israel didn't have it so good when they were in Egypt. How many of you? know that already in fact it was terrible they were in chains and they were imprisoned and they were in slavery and the last thing that happened is they weren't even given straw to make bricks but had to all day labor in the sun making bricks for the Egyptian pharaoh's building projects until eventually all the straw got taken away and they had to spend any time they had gathering straw to continue to do back breaking labor over and over again that's what they're longing for When you look at Israel, they whined in Egypt, they whined at the Red Sea, they whined about water, they're whining about food, and they're always looking back, thinking about what might have been or what could have been or wishing they were in that stage. And the fascinating thing about this is, is that we aren't talking about unbelievers, we are talking about believers, children of God, Old Testament children of God. And the reason I bring that up is this. If you truly know Christ, if you're redeemed, if you're born again, if you've been blood-bought and your sins are forgiven, I've noticed a dangerous trend in the life of many people who are truly believers. And that is that even though God has delivered them from the dominion of darkness they talk about their past life like they long for Egypt, like they long for the sins of the flesh, like they long for the fun that they had, like the Christian life, they talk about it like this, well, you know, now I'm on the straight and narrow, but I sure did have fun when I was sowing my wild oats. I want to tell you something. If you look back on a life before Christ, And it seems to you to be better than a life with Christ. Then it may be that you've never experienced the saving life that only Jesus can give. Because people that are truly redeemed don't look back at their lost soul and say, Boy, it sure was a lot of fun. It may, sin may have been fun in the moment, but the fun was fleeting because it was dissatisfying. And it was killing you. And it was taking your soul to hell. No, if you're truly saved, you will much more, much more. Be thankful for where God has delivered you to than wishing you could be where he delivered you from. Stop looking back. Number two. Number two. Understand the source of the complaints. Understand the source of the grumbling. Understand the source of the whining. Why is this such a problem among the people of God? I'm not talking about unbelievers right now. We we just set up the fact that we're talking about the people of Israel and even in the church. Why do we see this as such a problem with even people who are saved people, claim to know the Lord? Why is this such a problem? Fundamentally, I think there's, there's two main reasons. Fundamentally, it's a misunderstanding that the reason God exists is to serve you. Fundamentally, It's the misunderstanding that the reason God exists is to serve you. So if God is not doing what you think God ought to do, then actually in this passage, their problem is not with Aaron and Moses. Who is their problem with? God and it would flesh that out. The problem is with God. It's not with Aaron and Moses. It's it, that is just a symptom of the problem. We're going to throw we're going to be so mad at our leaders, but fundamentally we're mad at God because God's not doing what we think God ought to do. And fundamentally that is because I believe culturally that people have created an idol instead of understanding who the true God is. Now, if I set up an idol And I say, this is the reason that God exists. God exists to prosperity gospel, make all my dreams come true. God exists to give me what I desire. God exists to make my heart's longing come true. God exists to make me healthy and wealthy and happy. God exists to meet my needs. Well, when God doesn't operate like that because he's the sovereign king and not your butler or your genie or your fairy... When God acts how God acts because he's the sovereign king, people end up disappointed in that because he doesn't fit their little g idol that they've built of him because you haven't been worshipping the God of Scripture, you've been worshipping a God of your imagination. That's the first reason. Number two. Number two. The second reason for a source for the complaint is this. It's fueled by a constant lust for more that can never be satisfied. Here's a great question to write down in your notes. If you're using this message track, leaders, let me give you this. This isn't going to be on the screen, but this is one that I think will be incredibly helpful. How much is enough? How much is enough? For most people... It's an unanswerable question because no matter what it is, there's always more. There's always something else, and I can't ever be satisfied. So if that's the case, then it's obvious why I would have a complaining spirit, why I would have a whining spirit, why it would be that I would grumble as we read here in the text. And it's because there's never a satisfaction level. Now, certainly the Bible doesn't tell us that we should accept mediocrity. But we do have to come to a place that wherever lot in life that we've been given, that however God has blessed, that we find a way that we say that we can be satisfied in him and in his provision. You see, these people aren't looking for a solution because even when one is found, they find something else to grumble about. We're hungry. We don't want to starve. Here's something to eat. We don't like this food. Every one of you that's ever dealt with a child, you know what I'm talking about. I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And so you put something down there, I don't like that. You know, I heard when my children were little, if they get hungry enough, they'll eat it. And I think sometimes what we've forgotten is that sometimes it's not all about what we want. And God hasn't always promised that he would give us everything we wanted. But God has promised that he would provide and meet every need we have. I'm looking around. I know a lot of you in here. And from the person standing on this stage to every one of you sitting in these pews, I'm not making light of any of the problems you have because I know that they're real. But there is not one of you listen to this sermon that God has not taken care of. Not one. Not one. Not one of you can say, God has not provided for me. Doesn't mean there hasn't been some difficulties, some bumps in the road. But you are well, well, well provided for. We're taken care of. And so because of that, what we know is that we have to be very careful because if we're people that are prone to this grumbling and complaining, that it's not just about ourselves, but it's dangerous because it spreads and it contaminates people around us. We have to understand the source of the complaints. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. A complaining spirit always, always, always indicates a problem in our relationship with God. Stop always looking back. Understand the source of the complaints. And number three, number three, know what it takes to break the pattern and lifestyle of complaining. Know what it takes to break the pattern and lifestyle of complaining. Number one, it takes humility. There are very few people that when they hear this message, Myself included in looking at myself. There are very few people that when they hear this are going to say, I'm the problem. Most people with a message like this are thinking this I hope she's listening. I hope those people at my school are listening. I hope that guy I work for is listening. I hope those customers are listening. I hope every other student's listening. I hope everybody else on my team is listening. I can say this because it's true of me as well, but but come in close. I'm not talking about them. We're talking about you. We're talking about you. And what we know is, is that all those other people, God can take care of them. You deal with where in your heart you see these issues. So one of the things it takes is some humility. The willingness to say, you know what, I might have a problem. Or I do have a problem. It takes hard work because it's breaking, most of the time, long-standing, sometimes decades-old patterns. And it requires a change in appetite. That you'd rather have the things of the world. That you realize that you'd rather have the things of the world than you have been wanting to have the things of God. I don't know how researchers come up with this number. I don't. I've, I've thought about... In sharing this statistic today, how in the world you're able to factor this. But researchers estimate that we have approximately 70,000 thoughts a day. 70,000 thoughts a day. So if we have 70,000 thoughts a day, that means we must train and ask the Lord for help to change our hearts and to change our minds. What we think and feel comes out of our mouths. It all starts in our mind and it starts in our hearts. We know the Bible tells us that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. But let's just say right now that you're starting on a journey. And you're asking the Lord to help you with a complaining, whining, grumbling mouth. And so you've asked the Lord to help you, to give you humility and discipline to help break that habit. What do you need to do in the meantime while your mind and your heart are being renewed? What do you need to do? This is super practical. Super practical. While your mind and heart are being renewed, remember that you don't have to say everything you think. Everything that pops into your mind, you do not have to say that's revolutionary sometimes the best thing is to be quiet we don't have to have a comment about everything you don't have to have a little quip about everything every now and then just keep your mouth closed sometimes the old adage is right if you don't have anything good to say just don't say anything and at least at least practice the three-second rule If we have 70,000 thoughts a day, that means you can have a whole lot of thoughts in three seconds, right? Before you open your mouth, pause for three solid seconds. That was three seconds. In that amount of time, I can keep myself from saying a lot of things that I shouldn't have said. And so as your mind is being renewed, be very, very careful And think about that we want to listen to ourselves and evaluate how other people might be hearing us. Evaluate how the Lord might be hearing us. I love what Mark Twain said. Twain said this, don't complain and talk about all your problems. 80% of people don't care and the other 20% of people think you deserve them. That's 100%. If 80% of people don't care and 20% think you deserve them, he might not be that far off on his statistics. So let's talk about the two things that you should never, ever, 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 ever complain about. There are two things. This is easy to remember. Two things that you should never complain about. Number one, number one, things you can change. You should never complain about things you can change because if you can change it, Change it and quit complaining about it, right? What's the second thing that you should never complain about? Things you can't change. Never complain about things you can change and don't complain about things you can't change because you can't do anything about it anyway. Well, if I don't complain about the things I can change and I don't complain about the things I can't change, that pretty well covers it, doesn't it? That's about 100%. The opposite of complaining and grumbling, the opposite of a critical spirit is gratitude. Even if you don't know Christ, there are things that you could still be grateful for. But if you know Christ, if you are saved, if He is your perpetuation, your substitutionary sacrifice, if Christ is your Savior, if heaven is your reward, if your sins have been separated as far as the east is from the west, if you know God and you can call Him Abba Father, if Jesus is your friend and the Holy Spirit is your counselor, then friends, I would come to you today and say, if we don't come up with one other thing, which we could come up with thousands of other things, but if we can come up with that, then why in the world do we have any excuse to whine or complain when he is our God and our friend and our deliverer and our redeemer. We have a reason for thankfulness. We have a reason for praise. We have a reason for gratitude. We have myriads of reasons. But fundamentally, the greatest reason I have to praise God is this statement. Jesus is my Savior. So let me give you a prayer today that I want us to pray during this invitation, Lord, help me to think before I speak, to check my heart, help me to control my tongue and express myself clearly so that I won't cause dissension. Lord, set a guard upon my lips. Now, come in close and let me just ask all of you a personal question. Do you have a reason to praise God? I realize that you may not be the biggest complainer you know. You may not be the most the biggest grumbler you know. But what I'm asking you is, when you look at your life, do you see patterns and habits and evidences of a lifestyle that you could honestly say, there are some things in my heart that I need to repent of? Because I have a disquieted spirit. At times I have a complaining spirit. At times I am pessimistic and critical. And that's my go-to. If that's the case. Then it's not just those that are seeking salvation that need to repent. It's all of us. Myself included. Who need to bow before the Lord and recognize. Oh God. Oh God. I have every reason in the world to praise. Every reason in the world to exalt every reason in the world to thank. So, oh God, forgive me when I whine.